Here we go. As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though crack it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care <laughs> of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because... <laughs> uh, let's get a clean up for the YouTube. Is that our, is that our oh, first... I did, is that, fun. I did it for fun. <laughs> I'm going to do it again if you restart it. I was going to restart it. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Damn it. All right. Well, take two. As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time. Car wash connoisseurs. Projects like Car wash connoisseurs. It's something we really want to do. Unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people Number like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return <laughs> podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. This week, we are going to be talking about how thick thighs save lives. Uh, or not. We're actually going to be covering the hottest uh, news articles from this week related to all things the green industry and how that's going to affect you. And a lot of times we do this at real high level where we're going to talk about things in agriculture. And you may say, well, the green agriculture doesn't mix with lawn care. Well, unfortunately, what happens in lawn care, uh, I mean, what happens in agriculture oftentimes rolls downhill to Lawn care. I have used this, and this is not an accurate representation of, of lawn care or turf and ornamental, but I say that we are the the bastardized stepchild of agriculture. And I and I I, I say that uh, very facetiously. Lovingly. Um, and, and and lovingly. And uh, and it's not it's it is it is not necessarily the case, but we are a byproduct of that industry. We are a um, uh, uh, you know, if if agriculture is the pinnacle of the green industry, then then you know I would say uh, turf and ornamental and lawn care and, and sports turf and all that, you know, is, is definitely number two in the line. Right. And then way down at the bottom of the list are people that mow lawns for a living. <laughs> that, that was a joke. Lawn boys. That was a horrific joke. And I was just kidding. And I'm sorry I said that. And I did that just to, <laughs> just to flame people out there. No one laughed at it. Maybe it was too spicy. I don't know. Listen, when I was, no, when no. I was a spray guy, when I was a spray boy, hang on. Let me rephrase that. When I was a spray boy, the the when people ask me if I mowed yards, and I'm and I'm talking about strangers, right? Like I come across someone and they ask what you do for a living. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I do I do lawn care. I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a I'm an applicator. They're like, oh, you mow lawns? I know. I mean, under there was absolutely nothing I said in my statement of uh, a lawn applicator, uh, turf crash, whatever the case may be that stated I mowed lawns. Why would, why would you say that? But then as I got older, you know, I stopped. I worried more about the lawn boy than it was mowing lawns. You know, it was just, it was a thing that, you know, when I was 
22, 23, 24 years old, you know, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know. Maybe it was just me that went through that phase. But I went through that phase. I'm digging myself <laughs> in a hole here. There's so much rope out here and it is just getting tighter and tighter around my neck. Deservedly. Um, alongside me, I have my two, uh, my two friends here. Ryan DeMay and Ray Edo. Gentlemen, how the hell are y'all doing tonight? Well, um, I, you, yeah, you, you, you gotta love yourself first, Matt. You know, I think, uh, starting with a fresh attitude, you know, uh, cleansing yourself, a trip through the car wash, maybe even, and, uh, you know, just, just get a new perspective on life. Ray, how about you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, uh, I'm just uh, having a, not a bad week. Unfortunately, uh, I got to scold whoever brought up the Trident in one of the shows. <laughs> oh, has this become a... I got to scold. Were you visited by the ATF? No, it's because in the following week, I saw a whole host of lawns affected by nematodes. So that Trident was busy laying down exteris at very high volume, like uh, five gallon per thousand square feet. Night, night, nematodes. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. It's a lot of money flying through the, uh, through the system this week. I feel for you, Ray. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, it's... Uh, it's better than uh, the alternative, which is uh, dead grass. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. This is very true, especially when sod grass. prices are, uh, uh, you, you know, $100 a square foot or whatever insane prices y'all pay out there in Hawaii are. Mm-hmm. Five a square mm. foot, Matt. Five a square foot. I mean, even that's uh, like, what is, yeah, that's even like, what is that? Uh, Five to ten times what you what you pay uh, over where you are. Ten or more, uh, actually. Yeah, ten yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten, ten. Oh, jeez, yeah, Ryan. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that, that's a that's an unbelievable expense. That if I saw it, I wouldn't know exactly how to handle that. Um, speaking of expensive, gentlemen, let's just go ahead and jump into this week's headlines. We're going to go ahead and smoke them if we got them. How about that? You know, I try my best to to remain professional and listen, my best efforts at remaining professional are not very good. I will be <laughs> very transparent about that. I am not good at professionalism at all. I on it there's a, a list of things I'm good at and there's like two or three things on it and I promise you nowhere on that list is uh is being professional. And uh and so when I read a headline like I'm about to read right now, I can't help but want to say of course, we already freaking knew this was the case and uh, and and kind of gloat or, or, or revel in uh, being right. But I shouldn't do that because there are people that are having to suffer the consequences and it is it is a bad thing. Right. So I'll go ahead and start with the headline here. Mexico's plan to ban glyphosate by 2024 is already backfiring against farmers, consumers and the environment. 
Uh, the Mexican government is still on track to ban completely by 2024 the use of glyphosate, which is paired with tra uh, tra transgenic corn. GMO corn is already banned under a separate decree. The ban followed a presidential decree issue last year. Even though it's not yet in place, this decision is already hurting farmers' incomes. But there is a secondary unintended consequence. While it was sold to the public as a measure to protect the environment, the future ban of glyphosate has prompted farmers to begin the transition, and many of them are turning to pirate, unregulated herbicides, which do far more damage to the environment than any available or approved herbicide, especially glyphosate, which is known for its mild environmental impact. As recently reported by the USDA, the pinning restrictions are part of a wide-ranging government plan to block biotechnology innovation in the country. Mexico has not reported any official biotechnology food or feed product approval since May of 2018. The aggressive official re uh, rejection of crop biotechnology has also thrown a cloud over one of the country's great ag agricultural success stories. As reported two years ago, uh, GM cotton was first introduced in Mexico in 96 and has been widely adapted by growers. Thanks to its insect resistance and herbicide tolerance traits, the biotech crop efficiently controls uh, lepid lepidopteran pest and helps combat equally damaging weeds. Widespread GM cotton cultivation over those 24 years dramatically slashed the amount of pesticide farmers had to utilize to safeguard their fields from insect attacks. For comparison, consider that cotton cultivation in the 1970s required almost 20 insecticide applications from plant emergence to harvest. Jeez. Following the introduction of GM cotton, applications dropped to three and a half to five applications for growing season. That is pretty freaking significant. Um, opening the door to an illegal market by banning a widely used herbicide, uh, a Mexico, uh, Mexican civil associate uh, association dedicated to defending farmers' voices, the glyphosate ban is contradictory to the country's goal of reaching self-sufficiency. Without use of the weed killer, which has been determined to be safe for humans and the environment after reviews by 19 independent global research and re regulatory agencies, there is no effective alternative to, to substitute. Without the herbicide, Mexico crop losses of up to 40% are predicted, making it impossible to reach self-sufficiency. Glyphosate is a product that's been used for more than 30 years in agriculture and other applications such as urban weed control and has proven to be an effective tool with an attractive cost-benefit ratio for farmers, especially for its productivity. It is an input that is used in more than 30 crops in Mexico. Um, uh, organized crime increases its profits, so we start going in here where you know, you're doing illegal distribution of seed and different stuff. So anyway... Case in point here, what they're beginning to realize is this happens, and this is, uh, you know, we saw it in uh, uh, Sri Lanka and their bid to go organic. We're seeing it now with Mexico in a bid to ban glyphosate. Uh, and, and although Europe is doing a very good job at hiding this, uh, you, you know, where they are failing to meet uh, uh, crop production levels, you know, they just import it from areas that do use glyphosate, right, if they're not allowing it on their on their own land. I think the only is is glyphosate uh, uh, available to be used in Japan, Ray. Do you recall? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And okay. in fact, let me give you guys a little bit of inside baseball on the herbicide situation in Mexico and South America. Uh, one of the popular substitutes for glyphosate is a premixed combination of get this one, Matt. You're going to love this one, Paraquat with a little bit of diuron in it Jeez. which is fantastic fantastically horrific uh, because for those I mean, who that, don't that know, shit will kill that shit will exactly, kill you exactly <laughs> we've talked about this a lot paraquat is one of the ones include diquat on that list that in, in the the ld50 of this is low enough that it should make anyone who ever handles it comes near it uh, 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 has to be around it a little bit nervous. And by a little bit nervous, I mean 
fucking be on your P's and Q's here. Don't mess around. This mm-hmm. is not an FAFO type of scenario. You don't mess around with these two products. This is no joke we are talking about here. That when you think of the word chemical and you have scary thoughts or feelings, the, the word chemical is actually talking about things like nitric acid, paraquat, and diquat. Okay. Uh, uh, cyanide, <laughs> yeah. arsenic, th- those types of things are the chemical words that should uh, induce fear into the average average person that hears the word chemical and feels butterflies in the pit of their stomach. Now, and what this, we're seeing and this really, here is, it, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. And I, I know something else. Uh, can you imagine these literally barefoot farmers spraying that stuff out of their leaky backpack sprayers? Okay. No, that is the actual that's the actual reality on the ground. Where, uh, if I had to have a barefoot farmer handling something, you know, under such circumstances, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say that I'd rather the thing that that guy is applying be glyphosate because at least I know it won't hurt him, or it's less likely to hurt him. Doesn't that make the most sense in this scenario, right? And, yeah. and un- unfortunately, yeah. what we have here is a, a a one of these policies that sounds good to the people who who uh, live in this perpetual, exaggerated state of fear, and then the reality of the implementation of it is that oh shit is going to come forward, and we're already beginning to see that. And the worst part about it and the most infuriating part about this is Mexico is a very capable country in terms of what uh, they could do from a biotechnology perspective. What they could do as far as an agricultural technology perspective, because they are literally in the middle of some of the finest growing areas that that exist in in the world. And now, since 2018, we're not seeing uh, agricultural biotechnology. Uh, being brought to the market because they're scared of shit like this coming down on them, right? And the inhibition of of innovation is ultimately what causes major, major catastrophes, right? And that's how you get behind on times and you left scrambling, trying to figure out what to do with your populace. Ryan, you've been a little bit quiet here. You are a our voice of reason. You hear the 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 strain in my voice as I talk about this, and a little bit of the immaturity where I want to say I told you so. But talk to me. Is there is there anything on the positive here that I'm overlooking, or is this is this just a legit scenario of you fu- literally fuck around and find out? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's that. I think it's the this right is a microcosm of other issues. Right where. We're in the leading edge of either rolling back, and I, maybe only temporarily, but rolling back some of the thoughts and premonitions that folks have had over these last few years pre-COVID, right, of how to improve the environment or how to uh, make these practices, whether it be for agriculture, for horticulture, safer, more sustainable, whatever, you know, insert your buzzword here, right? And... I think we're at a point now, two years beyond COVID, that this is a vastly different set of circumstances, right? You know, it was one thing to to do this for, you know, reasons of, um, you know, trying to improve the environment and things like that. But now we're in a, a situation where we're talking about food security, right, in a lot of these cases. 
and even as far as uh you know like natural gas production here in uh, the states and fuel costs and trying to uh you know assert our uh i don't want to say dominance but at least our own stable footing to stand on when it comes to energy independence and what does that come at the cost of well it comes at the cost probably of time money effort thought everything else that gets put into uh you know clean energy renewable energy safer products safer you know whatever and and i'm not saying that it's an either or solution what i am saying though is that common sense has to prevail here in the very near future right going down this road and just barreling ahead and not you know again taking the blinders off and look at what's going on out there in the world right now is a fool's errand it is a bad idea and i hope that the good that comes out of this is people say hey listen like you're right we do need to do things like this to improve you know the longevity of uh you know these crops the the way that they're growing all that kind of stuff right by holding on to or sticking with what we know works while also looking at the future and saying hey listen we can't do it like this forever though we've got to be better what else is out there and what can we do and i i don't know which way it's going to go i still don't uh you would hope that people again take the blinders off and see the reality of the situation and say hey listen for the foreseeable future we got to do what we got to do but i don't know that that's going to prevail i can't figure out when the, the risks that that are uh, occurring with these kind of hard-lined decisions like this are putting the 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 uh, real lives in danger and that is the part i cannot figure out why are you risking real lives to implement some sort of bizarre uh, extremist type of 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 policy like this real lives are effective and i'm not talking about financially i'm talking about live like die like starvation potential increases significantly why do that why would you do that to your own people we could parlay this into many other countries that, that are that that are a- attempting to do these things. Sri Lanka is not good right now. That is not looking okay. No one is over there high-fiving really proud of the state of their union right now. The government is turning over, flipping over, people are rioting. It's not a good look. When we talk about you, we even look at the 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 the, the Arab Spring, and I'm not parlaying this back into glyphosate uh, specifically, but a lot of that started with inflation and food shortages that were occurring. That's what began to get people to start questioning the government. Not, civil unrest happens, and it's because when you put a large number of people like that at an extreme risk, and they start going hungry, they start getting angry, and they start going crazy, deservedly deservedly they deserve to feel that way and to do those types of things and are their actions right or wrong i can't judge them because if i was in that scenario i'd be doing the same damn thing i can't figure it out why would you do that to your own people has the has empathy just dissolved from 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 leadership is 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 that the the state that we're in now have we forgotten how to to empathize i think it's beyond empathy you know what matt that I call this a total lack of actual logic and reasoning because, uh, my goodness, uh, you ban GMO crops that utilize the lower toxicity products. Like, for example, 
Matt, you know, you in the previous article, you mentioned that they sprayed a cotton field an average of 20 times per season. Yes. Yes. Okay, Matt, guess what they were applying? Probably paraquat and some other really bad stuff. Oh, some cute stuff like parasion, guthion, diazinon, uh, let's see, methanol. I mean, all the, all the good stuff, right? That's your average cotton field application. And so, you know, why are they just, you know, this is just a knee-jerk reaction without any logic behind it because if you were to look at this logically and objectively, you'd say this new technology or this newer technology is some good stuff because we're making the more hazardous things obsolete and unnecessary. We don't need to deal in that anymore, right? We don't need to do that because I've seen that for myself, Matt. Which is progress. Well, the good and isn't that what we're going yeah. for? Is, is progress here? Yeah, because I'm going to tell you, Matt, Paraquat and Diuron, that is so 1970s, okay? <laughs> that is so 1960s. I'm serious. <laughs> I just, it, and we want to go back to that? <laughs> it, it's, it's two things. One, it is the fact that, again, anytime you ban something, you it, there are unintended consequences, and there are equal and sometimes more more than equal, right, uh reactions right that come about and i think that's one thing that we're going to see out of some of this ideology and the way that it's coming down it, but it goes and it goes both ways too it's like you know you can't just say that well hey we're never going to get into and deal with you know some of the issues that we have long term right with this stuff and what that brings about nobody's saying that but what i what what you have to do is at least have some sort of roadmap to say listen hey the next five years, like we got to do what we got to do, hard stop, and from that point forward, hey, we'll look at doing other stuff. You know, that's gonna that's gonna be a little bit more uh, forward thinking. Maybe it's a little less on the old technology of what we have. But until then, until things normalize, stabilize, or we come to a new normal, man, it is just a it's it's a bad idea. It's a really rough idea, and we'll see, Matt. I don't know. I wish I had better news for you, but. It's, we'll uh, we'll we'll move on to something a bit more positive here, even though this is an absolutely charged of an article here. Uh, but uh, this is some good news, though. Gray's unveils an autonomous electric lawnmower. Uh, is there any? I'm not even going to read this first sentence because it is it just makes me want to bang my head against the wall. Uh, on Tuesday at the Glendale Sports Complex, Glendale Mayor uh, Paula Devine, uh, Devine announced that the city will be the first in Los Angeles County to join Gray's pilot program, allowing Glendale facilities like Sports Complex to its equipment. Uh, in exchange, the startup will be getting free beta testing research. Uh, Gray CEO John Blaze says that he hopes other municipalities will follow Glendale's re uh, lead. Uh, gas power mowers are just so polluting and have been unregulated for so many years. Of, of We've got a real Chip Osborne here. Uh, the, the showcase came after uh, uh, five months after Governor Gavin Newsom uh, signed a law that bans the sale of new gas-powered landscape and equipment in an effort to curb emissions. Uh, the new law takes effect at the start of 2024. According to the EPA data, uh, gas-powered lawnmowers account for 5% of total air pollution in the United States. 
as a gathered crowd listened to Blaze speak, one of the Grays' machines, roughly the size of a go-kart, mowed the Glen- Glendale Sports Complex grass. Uh, the sound emitted from the mower was minimal compared to gas-powered mowers. Blaze didn't even have to use a microphone to be heard. Three engineers were on site and paraded the mowers across the field using a tablet that mapped their perimeter and locked in the boundaries that the mower must stay in. Uh, from there, the mower continued to make parallel passes at one and a half meters a second throughout the field. The battery life of one mower can last up to eight hours, while the mowers uh, have also been tested on rocky and undulated terrain. Interesting. Uh, a grazed mower consists of two large sections. There's a shell, which houses the battery, cameras and sensors that can detect objects a couple of feet away, as well as the detachable mower deck, which can be dismounted for easy storage and cleaning and sharpening of the blades. Blay boasted that the detachable mower built uh, deck was built with future attachments in mind, such as a leaf blower or a golf ball picker. Um, so kind of some interesting thing here. One of the uh, the the things that that, you know, calls into question is that uh, they've got three engineers that are uh, handling these uh, tablets in order to get everything mapped in. Hopefully. Hopefully the software has a, a great enough UX or a, uh, a simple enough UX that, um, you know, an average person could get on there and figure out and how to get things mapped and locked in. And, uh, and we can start seeing the implementation of some of these things. Now, on the flip side of this, exactly like you just said, Demain, is so many of these things can happen in parallel paths. Is it necessary to ban that the government should ban the sale of new gas-powered landscaping equipment to force us into this direction? Or should we let uh, uh, capitalism and uh, 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 be able to guide the decision here? So once these machines cross the critical threshold of making more business sense to run this than it does a gas-powered piece of equipment, shouldn't that be the determining factor? Because this gets implemented in California. It gets forced into the way. Um, it, it now, to, to even get involved in the industry, and some may say this is good, some, some may say this is bad, the barrier to entry has raised exponentially compared to where it was. It was kind of like, uh, I think it was Kenny Cooper that actually shared an article about um, uh, abandoning uh, vehicles, uh, uh, trucks for on-the-road trucking uh, pri- that were manufactured prior to 2007. Who does that impact? Well, it's it's not impacting the guys that are bringing in a billion dollars in revenue or, or you know, 200, 300, 400 million dollars in revenue. They don't, they don't see that. They've got relationships with banks. They can go get loans and they and they can make this a reality. Um, and and they are, they are guarded by this, especially in a time where where the extension of credit is becoming a little bit more intense than it has been over the last eight years. Right. So now all of a sudden we move into a scenario like this where. How many of these guys that are solo operators that bring in two to four hundred thousand dollars in revenue a year can afford to drop their equipment list to immediately flip over to this? Now, it's not to say that the, the return on investment isn't there. I don't know. I don't know enough about this gray system. This could be the answer. This could be as close to a perfect replacement as we have on the market right now. I know there's other ones out there like Greensy and others that, that are also doing a good job and, and, and supposed to be you know on the up and up. Um, is, 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 is this the one, is this the one that's going to be the game changer? I don't know. They're just now doing beta testing uh, in a, a municipality type setting. So I don't know. You we'll, we'll let this kind of play out and empower how it does. Ray, I know how you feel about this. I, and Ryan, I know why you shared this is because it was being implemented in, on uh, uh municipal sports uh, park. Right. So Y'all talk to me about this. What do you see? Is is ban and, and answer me this? Is banning the new sale of gas powered equipment the appropriate course of action to force us into this direction, 
or should the markets be the determining factor as to how we end up with uh, battery-powered equipment? I think, you know, my opinion is, is that it should be dictated strictly by the market. Unless, of course, uh, Sean Smith can make me a robot that real cuts uh, grass. Uh, and I'm talking a real cut, not a, not a rotary mower cut, uh, when needed and in alternating patterns and laying down straight stripes. <laughs> Until then, there's always going to be a place for traditional established mowing equipment. Yeah, I mean, talk I think me, there's probably... Talk to me, Domainer. Prob probably a little bit more common sense way to do it. Right? Again, you go straight across the board and say there's a ban. Well, then that that's that's a tough road, or a tough road to hoe for everybody right off the bat. Notwithstanding the fact that, again, we've talked before on here about the infrastructure, the internal infrastructure of you know, uh, shops for landscape and lawn care operators, things like that, to be able to just have the power supply, right, to be able to um, charge all these batteries up, everything like that. I'm not saying that it's it, it, it's a dumb idea. I think, though, that it should have been phased in based on, like what you were saying, Matt, something to do with revenue, right? Uh, or there should have been larger grants given to, uh, to folks that have less revenue. You know, Brightview doesn't need to get bankrolled to go ahead and um, get a whole bunch of electric and or robotic or autonomous mowers. They don't. And, but the quarter million dollar guy, the $400,000 guy probably could use it, right? It would help. And maybe it, maybe it helps his business grow faster and gets him out of that state, right? And he's maybe growing his business. Who knows? I don't know. What uh, the... Uh, the idea here with you know this this particular technology, I think, I, I think there's merit to it. I think on having uh, the robotic mowers, like you said, the the user interface that's the the biggest thing uh, with these, and that's probably why Husqvarna is so far ahead right now because their user interface is so much better than any of the other ones that are out there right now, and what you're able to do with it is so much more powerful. That's why they're you know they're the leaders in the market right now, and I I don't see why they're not going to be for the foreseeable future so i think the the biggest thing here gentlemen is the labor side right if you can plug one of these in and mow an entire commercial complex or the vast majority of it say 80 percent of something like that or larger areas that you know are within uh your business it totally makes sense it totally makes sense now if you've got six yards on one street to mow and they're all five thousand square feet or less this doesn't do anything for you in fact, it sucks. So I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting to see. You've got a couple of companies right now, too. I can't remember the name of them, but there's there's a company out there right now that's franchising that is basically using this, like where you would be the lawn care operator and you're uh, implementing the mowers for customers and selling it to them as a service. You know, almost like a, a SaaS type product, right? In um, mm -hmm. you know, in the in the software space. So I don't know, you know, that, that whole thing, I'll be interested to see how it plays out, but uh, it, it's not going to be applicable to every situation. And so that's the other part too, is, um, you know, say that we do get into some of these larger properties and things like that, we're all electric mowers. Do we have enough equipment? Do we need to have backups, right? To be able to get through an entire day where, you know, okay, hey, the battery lasts eight hours. Well, guess what? 
on this property here, we spend a 10 hour day here to get it all done to make sure that it's done because we don't want to have to drive the 30 miles out there, you know, and back to get to this one particular property or this large commercial site that we do happens mm-hmm. all the time, right? You, you flex your hours, you do what you have to do when it comes to certain accounts. And so I think, again, just the nuance of the business is what, that's what pisses me off about when it comes to bands, right? It's not understanding or Matt, to use your word, being empathetic to all the needs of everybody who uses it. It's basically saying, Hey, fuck you figure it out and and i'll i'll say this in defense of the uh of the, the battery mowers in the future of the industry you may say oh well this is is you know if it becomes fully uh, autonomous then you're replacing jobs not necessarily because you, you still have to have people to program boundaries and all that fun stuff and monitor equipment repair equipment and uh in de- defense of it I think it will also attract a new type of employee to the industry as well. And that's not always a, a bad thing. In, f- in fact, I would say that's actually a good thing, um, especially as, th- as the way uh, we have changed as a society, not just here in the United States, but globally, so much more technology forward and technology focused. Having this technological piece within the green industry will uh, attract some of that upper tier uh, technology focused talent to to want to get involved with it where it's not just someone um you know who uh who uh, uh, just wants to get out there and and work a shovel all day and it's not to say those people aren't fantastic because some of the best mechanics I've ever seen have been in the green industry um uh, so, some of the most salt of the earth people that I would allow into my home at any time of the day uh, are more comfortable with the shovel in their hand than they are having a, a conversation with the gas station attendant it's not to say that anything's wrong with them, but you know who's to say that those people aren't the same ones that are interested more so in the technology piece that as they were coming up and being raised in the industry that if they'd have been exposed to it, they'd want to be in that right now. So I think overall there there is a gigantic set of positives with it. I think there's a lot of unknowns with it, and I think there's also a lot of negatives with it as well. And it's the totality of the situation that has to take into account. And I don't think a government enforced ban is the the, the foundation to uh, 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 attract this type of transition, in my personal opinion, of course. Um, Pennsylvania grant program explores feasibility of fertilizer reduction. Uh, as input costs continue to spike ahead of planting season, several conservation districts in northeast Pennsylvania have implemented a pilot program to determine if farmers can reduce the need for fertilizer and cut costs without sacrificing yield. Uh, the Columbia Montour and Luzerne Conservation Districts are offering grants for farmers to replace their starter fertilizer with a seed inoculant. Uh, the product will be used in place of starter fertilizer. Uh, the, the product is BioCoat Gold, a biological seed treatment and inoculant uh, produced by Advancing Eco Agriculture. Uh, according to company literature, BioCoat Gold boosts microbes in the soil and speeds up the rate of germination. But the gigantic unknown question here is will it effectively replace the need for starter fertilizer by starter fertilizer particularly what we're talking about here primarily is phosphorus is the code word uh, to to unscramble there uh we don't want to tell people to do away with starter fertilizer uh, but that's where we hope to get to or at least minimize and eventually take it away i don't like the use of the word take it away the application cost for biocoat gold is four to ten dollars per acre uh, which will be covered by the grant so here we go. They're going to try it out. Nobody knows what exactly is going to happen, but they're doing the right thing by getting it out and trialing it and seeing what happens. Now, here's the other thing to keep into account. It may be effective in Columbia, Montour, and Luzerne conservation districts, but we also have to check this out. 
in uh, in Toledo, Ohio. We have to check this out. Grand Forks, North Dakota. We have to check this out in Washington. There are a lot of different conditions you're going to see across those different regions that may or may not benefit from a product like this. And we, what we have to figure out, too, is that if we are seeing success, how can we quantify that to actually? Is it the, the, the boosting of microbes in the soil? Is it the speeding of the, of the rate of germination? What exactly is taking place here uh, that, is, that is leading to these types of things? So that way, if it's not effective in uh, these different regions, what can be changed about it to make it more effective in these different regions? In my personal opinion, I think that would be the next appropriate step to take. I don't know. Uh, gentlemen, when you see things like this, do you think this is a, a net positive or a net negative? Do you think this is the appropriate way to do this? And uh, I got to say, I'm impressed. They actually put it in press, knowing that if it does turn out foobard and there is no net positive benefits, there's also a pretty decent probability that's going to make it to the news, too. I just pivot to turf YouTube. Fuck it, right? <laughs> 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 somebody will buy yes. it someone somebody will buy it micro there, pack 414 boosting microbes gotta, all across georgia mi- yep you got to mix it with boiling water before you put it out there that's part of the rule so you know yeah. the <laughs> if it, if it, you know there is guy in the article further down so one thing that was interesting further down in that article they talked about how um it worked in fields it seemed like this is all anecdotal based on what i read was it seemed like it worked in fields that were in heavy tillage right so in no-till farming they didn't see any benefit to it uh you talked a little bit about how with green beans they saw he felt like he saw a benefit but there was you know nothing again there that's all anecdotal stuff so the the seed inoculant thing is very interesting there's one out there somebody asked us in a stream recently about one that's out there from cortiva that maybe we'll do a little bit deeper dive on that in a uh, in a coming show and try to uh see what the research tells us but the other thing too somebody's asking us about this in the context of turf and what i told them uh and i think ray kind of echoed the same sentiments is that you know talking about a, a perennial crop and turf versus a annual crop you know for forage grains things like that so is it going to replace it i show me the data guys that's all i'm going to ask just show me the data and if not yeah that's all links in the description below yeah yeah that that's that's all i ask is show me the actual you know unaltered uh data that is not cherry picked or uh fixed to show the desired result and uh I'll I'll keep an open mind. I mean, otherwise, my goodness, we've uh, seen this before, and <laughs> countries were thrown into famine, FAFOing with stuff like this. Okay, countries were thrown into Shit. into famine. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. So oh, let's go ahead. You know, we I I would not necessarily say that we put this magic dust on on the seeds and now you don't need to fertilize i mean that's just uh as i said i have seen instances where a couple of countries have tried this and no they still ended up needing to apply their npnk <laughs> that didn't change yeah the, the guy here talks about 
how they they didn't cut it out completely. He dropped it like thirty to maybe fifty percent in some cases, which hey, it helps. You know, it helps. So if if there's something that can help them do that, and there uh, there's not any fertilizer they're going to apply for five to ten dollars an acre. I mean, hell, even uh, you know paying milk prices at the store and then pissing that out in the field is probably more than five to ten bucks an acre these days. So you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, Jay Pink, can you throw that link up real quick? I don't know anything about this company, but I do know that in the top center of their header on their website is a is a the name of the guy who founded this, and he is got his own name right there. This guy loves him some him. That's all I can say. That's my do you, do, FBI have you profiler. have you listened to anything by this guy? No, I'm I not. have listened to a metric shitload of John Kemp over the years. He's got some mm. great points. He is uh, he is a hard line uh, on. Uh, you know, one one side of thing, and there's uh, when you, when you hear anyone speak, right? You you have what is it? What is it? You've got you've got the 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 truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? And yeah. uh, and you, you know, I think you may hear um, a hardliner, like for instance, when I read uh, some of some of the stuff, you know, from 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 this guy. I counter it by going the extreme in the other direction, right? And there, and therefore, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Where I, I go too far extreme one way, he goes too far extreme the other. And very, very interesting, very thought provoking uh, types of podcasts he he put out here, uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of grandiosity is is being put forth in in these of of you know. Um, perfect world scenarios type things that are that are not necessarily practical so again it's going into trials we're going to have data to be able to review if they are published and i'm sure if it's positive it will be published if it's negative it'll probably go away and we won't hear about it anymore and you'll see it in select regional stores around the country that hey get your bio gold but you'll never see it in the fucking news again so um anyway interesting thing to keep an eye on there and also in this uh, uh, in this kind of same vein here of trying to uh, mitigate uh, fertilizer costs, we've got, will the USDA tap the CCC to send fertilizer price aid payments to farmers? A growing number of lawmakers, farm groups, and farmers are pleading for assistance from still surging fertilizer prices. Uh, Nancy Pelosi held two meetings recently with her Democrats to come up with ways to temper uh, gasoline prices ahead of November 8th midterm elections. President Joe Biden and his top White House officials have asked the cabinet for options regarding their stakeholders. One possibility for the USDA would be able to tap the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act, the so-called ATM machine for Aggies. One source asked, would any fertilizer aid come in time to impact corn plantings? Another contact asked, is it a pricing issue or an availability issue? What about all those farmers that purchased and applied their fertilizer in the fall? Would they get retro payments? Why reward some that have poor planning? The bottom line, the Biden administration is already planning on asking railroads to accelerate the delivery of fertilizer supplies. Sources say fertilizer suppliers are out there in the countryside. The big attention will be on the eastern Corn Belt where they didn't get as much fall fertilization done due to moisture. And the planting window is not going to be open nearly as quickly in the eastern belt and west as it did last year. Areas of the Midwest were in the 20s this morning and there's not been enough soil temperature uh, needed to for conditions to improve to the point of being able to plant. Uh, some around Champaign, Illinois were planting April 5th last year and that ain't happening this year. So, <clears throat> you know, here's the thing. Do do we need to start tapping into the CCC to to start issuing payments to to help facilitate this? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think so because our currency is already in a very very weird state. Uh, inf uh inflation is already in a very very 
very weird state. Uh, the last thing we need to be doing is opening up the ATM machine, in my opinion. But again, I'm not well versed enough in this area to understand where these budget dollars come from, uh, what the, the negative impacts of it are. But just on first glance and thought here, I think it's actually a bad idea to do this. Um, and then also, and the other thing, <laughs> it's, that's a pretty fucking brazen statement, in my opinion, to be like, we're going to ask the railroads to accelerate the delivery of fertilizer supplies as if they're not accelerating the delivery of whatever they can right now. I, I don't know a lot about the ins and outs of the railroad, uh, but I do know that there's a little bit of turmoil, especially up in Canada right now, not quite as much in the United States. Um, and those bad boys are running as long and hard as they possibly can. Knocking them on the shoulder and be like, hey, man, can you guys hurry up is a bit of a moot point because I don't think they're going to be able to like, crank it up another additional five miles an hour to be able to make this reality. So are we going to start like uh, we're going to we're going to prioritize fertilizer deliveries over like grain deliveries or something? Is, is that the appropriate step to take? I don't know. To me, that sounds like a very, very weak response to the whole thing. But again, I uh, who, who am I to make this judgment call? I'm just going off an emotional response here. So please take everything I say with a grain of salt. Do I have anything to add? I, I just think I, they're just trying to all their. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. No, I caught on to something that uh, kind of grown my gears a little. Why are these elected officials chastising the grower that didn't do fall fertilization when fall fertilization for a spring crop is not necessarily the wisest practice as we've uh, previously talked about on various shows? That's a great I mean, why? point. I mean, why? I mean, that just that just ground my gears because are these the same jackasses that then also want to throw a whole series of federal regulations on the farmer regarding nutrient runoff? I mean, because you know the the Clean Water Act. Now that we have a new president, that Clean Water Act is getting cranked right back up the previous president wanted to tone down the clean water act to a more moderate you know level but this president uh anything the environmental lobby asks for they're gonna get so yeah think about that <laughs> i just I, I think it's one of those things where um if we're going it, to, it's, it's one thing to start, you know, asking, you know, transit companies, rail lines, all that kind of stuff to move areas of, of higher inventory to areas of lower inventory or greater need, right? That, that makes sense. But again, yeah, what are the dominoes that fall behind that? Um, and it's an important thing though. I mean, there, there's, there's gotta be a little bit of gravity in the situation there. I, the giving people payments and things like that to help out with this, uh, I don't know. I mean, I still think if you have planned out your year correctly, you know, who knows how much fertilizer you're going to be able to afford. But I think that's the thing is how much are you willing to stomach? Because there's a lot, there's a lot to be gained out there. You know, the more corn you can plant right now and sell those contracts, the better you're going to be able to do. But not everybody has the scratch to cover putting all that money out there right now. So it is an interesting situation for sure. But uh, I don't know that we're there yet on floating people right 
on uh, on their fertilizer bill. It's just short term, long term, how all that plays out. I I don't know. You know, again, this is why we need to have. By the way, we need to talk off the air. Joe um, uh, from Standard Grain uh, said he 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 would he definitely wants to come on and re- record a segment. He can't do it during the 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 time the Sunday we record this on a Sunday. He can't come on on a Sunday to do it. So. I was thinking maybe prior to Sunday we record a segment with him yeah. and then we we inject it into one of the shows because again, you know, that is a real trader out there, you know, cutting his chops up on on the, the ins and outs of this. And I think he could provide some real good insight for us. So we'll we'll talk about that off the air, but go ahead and let everybody know mm-hmm. that, that that's coming. And I highly recommend you check it out at Standard Grain on Twitter, Standard Grain on YouTube. Um uh, Joe is a, is a is a stud, that is for sure. Uh, thank you for that domain because uh, boy, you turned me into a damn fangirl with that guy. I DM him all the time, and I know he's like this fucking guy right here is all over my DMs. Oh yeah, uh, I I'm, I'm, I did I'm not ask him for his OnlyFans link, so you know I haven't made that'll it be yet. Yeah, and then you'll um, gentlemen. Uh, this week we are brought to you by Lawn Supply Company. Uh, for those of you that have not checked it out, head over to RyanNorLawnCare.com. Uh, Ryan and I have been working on this slowly but surely over a little bit of time, trying to get our feet wet, figure things out. And we're, to be honest, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, after Carbon Earth, I have not really been too heavily involved in, in fertilizer. But what I have been doing is a lot of this stuff right here for fun. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, this is not a, a, a moneymaker, uh, you know, we're not out here getting rich doing this. We are legit doing this purely for fun and to do something different than what's currently available out there. Now, some of these products, you can find competitor products out there, uh, you know, like a, a slow release nitrogen, a methylene urea. Yeah, it's out there. We put our own little spin on it with, with slow or here, but Products like Fixor, not readily available out in the market. And for the Texas guys that have been using this and sending me the feedback on it, you know, kudos to you. Thanks for all the positive feedback that we've been getting on that. And then, of course, the new product that we have coming out there for guys in the Midwest that are using the uh, the Grower G. I've actually had a lot of uh, people with high pH soils reaching out about that, saying that they've, they've been extremely uh, uh impressed with the results in the grow or G and then the one we just launched it's out of stock right now but you know what we're re- rebuilding the inventory and that's going to be coming up this week too uh, and that is the green or SB and this is the absolute first uh, a, a high pH chelation method that is done so uh, by by using a, a quote-unquote sustainably sourced chelate right so Effectively, what we have done is chelated with the peptides, the uh, the uh, chelated ferrous sulfate. And um, there's some pictures over in the Discord, if you remember there, where you can see, you know, where we had it at a pH of 11.92 for uh, 24 hours with absolutely zero fallout whatsoever. And what's interesting is that if you put heat on it and begin to evaporate out the water, you can recrystallize ferrous sulfate. So it is actually ferrous sulfate that is protected in that scenario. So... Um, and with it being ferrous sulfate that is, you know, readily plant available and a much smaller, follow, uh, a smaller molecule than EDDHA, it's not a forever chemical. And so once it biodegrades and is used by the plant, it's done, it's gone. And, uh, there's no lasting impact, uh, to the, to the environment with a product like that. So we thought it was pretty cool. It was intended to go into agriculture. And, uh, I have a lot of friends in low places that allowed us to be able to bring it here before it's even making it to agriculture, what it was looking to be like next year. So, uh, check it out you know hit notifications on that when it comes back on uh i ask you to give it a try show some support to ryan nor and uh because he definitely busts his ass out here to make all this reality he works a shitload harder at it than i do i promise you that not just him he and his wife 
are absolute workhorses and they are just fun as shit uh, to, to work with on this. It's definitely motivating for us. Uh, gentlemen, let's check out this week's Burns. Hey, Ray. Ray. <laughs> what? Do you think... Sh- I, 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 I have this thought in my head. Do you think that Sheila, she probably uses the self-serve car wash? You know, the one with the spray gun and that foamy brush, mm. and she really scrubs it in mm. deep. Is that is that accurate? She's not an automatic Pretty car accurate. wash kind of girl. Pretty accurate. Yeah, I, I knew mean, that. Uh, I knew that about her. She likes to do uh, work. It's the foam lance followed by the, uh, the high-pressure rinse. <laughs> <laughs> your phone lance sir all right <laughs> to the burns um the, all right uh, everybody keeps talking about fertilizer shortages fertilizer prices all that uh, 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 us too what we have started hinting at over the last couple of months here have been the herbicide situation what we saw were a lot of force majeures you heard that come out of our mouth multiple times over the course of multiple episodes. And we started talking about the shit that was beginning to fall because of that taking place. Well, you know what? This this is a very difficult piece of information to find in the news right now, but for everything that you are beginning to see in the news now about fertilizer and the fuckery that's going around with that and the fuckery that's going to occur with, uh, with, with food supply globally, and I want to make it clear, I don't think we are going to be hit by, by our food supply here in the United States. We're not going to start going hungry here. We are too developed of a nation. Uh, we are too wealthy of a nation uh, for us to, to begin going hungry. We may have limited supply of certain things. We may not be able to get avocados when we want avocados in the middle of winter, like we're so accustomed to or whatever the case may be. Um, but we will be shielded from the majority of that impact. Now, if you live in a, in a developing nation, there are chances are there's going to be people that succumb to hunger. And that is a bad situation. And that is the reality of where we are right now. We are going to watch this play out over the next, not just one year, at least the next two years, if not longer, as a result of everything that's going on. However, if you want to talk about what would catapult this into the next uh, next uh, ethos, to the next planet of absolute fuckery when it comes to food security, let's begin sounding the alarm bells on herbicide shortages. We did this at the beginning when it became uh, uh, apparent that turf and ornamental was facing shortages when it came to uh, 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 pre-emergent uh, tech materials, pre-emergent tech materials that, was, that were being used to coat uh, uh, fertilizers. And we saw major shortages this, this, this past year with that. And then it kind of fell to the wayside. And now all of a sudden, with the force majeures coming out of glyphosate, uh, New Farm Valent uh, having empty shelves all across America and with production houses in, in China right now being absolutely decimated and destroyed their, their production capacity due to uh, the, the, the draconian lockdown measures that take place over there. Um, what we're seeing now is the data of struggle of of uh, uh, herbicide supply in farm, and this is what is going to get exponentially worse in the short term. Maybe not necessarily fertilizer shortages. That may continue to kind of climb, eke up, trend in a certain way. But when it comes to crop uh, 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 protectants, anything that ends in a side, so we'll say pesticides, pesticide shortages are going to be the dominant player if we're to face real, real economic pain as related to agriculture in the United States. Why? 
Here we go. Are there enough chemicals and fertilizers to plant this year's crop? An inside look at what's in jeopardy. And we look at this first graph right here. This is what people, farmers, and retailers, what retailers had problems sourcing this year. Fertilizer was 38%. Insecticide was 38%. Fungicide was 42%. Herbicide was 85%. 85% of ag retailers, 85% had difficulty sourcing herbicides this year. Oh, as many U.S. farmers anxiously await spring planting, supply chain concerns continue to plague planting outlooks. And while weather typically has the final say in what farmers plant, input availability issues could be another factor farmers battle all spring. The USDA's Protective Plantings report shows farmers intend to plant 4% fewer acres in 2022, largely due to fertilizer prices. That is a big deal. However, it's chemistry availability that seems to be a growing concern for both ag retail suppliers and farmers. Commodity and input prices have, been, have seen a dramatic change since the USDA survey was done at the beginning of March. And if farmers decide to switch acres at the last minute, finding the necessary inputs may be the biggest hurdle of the year. So, again, what we have seen in fertilizer and a 4% uh, 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 fewer acres planted, guess what? You may get it planted. You may have the fertility in 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 space in uh, in play. No problem there. Your silo's full. You got it down on your crop. You get, you got it down with plant. And then it comes time to make your initial herbicide applications, and you go to pick it up because it's normally flush. It's everywhere. And then all of a sudden, what do you do? You ordered it on your early order program. You're waiting for it to be delivered, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's been delays. What kind of delays? I've got shit in the ground." Well, we don't know. We were only allotted 85% of what we sold last year, and, uh, you know, we're, we're out. <laughs> if you don't hear me tapping my keyboard there, that's me tapping my keyboard of the uh, sales rep wondering, oh, shit, how do I handle this situation? And then the farmer, on the other hand, has steam emitting from their ears, uh, not tapping on the keyboard, but it sounds more of a bang. <laughs> Because of the frustration that's taking place. So as we talk about the dominoes that are in place and the uh, dominoes that, that could potentially fall, we are now, now that we move past planting and input availability, we're getting into spray season. Spray season is going to be when we do, a lot of times you see burn downs prior to planting. And so you're using last year's reserves of glyphosate. Maybe you have to pick up a little bit for this year. Uh, and then maybe you're planting Roundup Ready crops and you got it on your early order program, so you already ordered it. You already paid for it. You're not worried about it. But, oh, yeah, glyphosate had a force majeure. Oh, well, we'll switch to glufosinate. Oh, glufosinate had a force majeure. What are you going to start putting on, on these crops? What are you going to do? If you got a Roundup-ready crop and you're used to, to, to spraying glyphosate to control your grassy weeds, now what do you got to switch to? You're going to be spraying atrazine? Good luck. You can't get fucking atrazine either right now. Mesotrione in short supply right now, if I recall correctly. This right here is going to be the next phase of holy shit we have to get through. And again, we want to sound the alarm on it first because this is absolute reality. And why this is so important is because in lawn care, we can be, because we have so many fertility applications through the course of the year, we can be very specific with how we apply fertilizer, where with with uh, in farm, 
you know, you can do a side dress application a couple times, but you remember the more passes you put across that field, the more expensive that crop becomes. And so you limit the number of fertility applications a year. You may only fertilize twice in a year. Maybe you do a couple foliar apps in the middle of it. So now you're at four applications a year. A lot of times in lawn care, especially in the southern markets and stuff, you may be on it six, seven, eight times. And you have the flexibility of being able to dial back your rates into, into minute rates where I'm only going to apply a quarter pound of it in this uh, of this time, right? Because I'm already in a cash crunch. Availability is not there. I'm going to apply a quarter pound in and I can add a little bit of iron on top of it. I can get nice color and some duration out of it, you know, and it's not perfect, but it's definitely damn near good enough for what I need to do to make sure I've got a badass looking yard out here. Well, uh, when you're growing for yield, you don't have that flexibility. So you get your fertilizer out. And then what it what was the number two contributor to loss yield, aside from abiotic issues or temperature issues or drought issues, um, uh, externally out of control issues, um, that would be your herbicide program. Herbicide programs are hugely important to maximize yield. And so if you were not prepared for this and you do not have everything you need for every acre you've planted right now, good fucking luck. Good luck. It is not going to be there. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be harsh or crash or an extremist or, you, you, you know, uh, to be a dick or an end of the world kind of uh, 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 alarmist here. Legit. It is not going to be there. You can ask ag retailers. The way it was approached was that you had 85% of availability of what you sold last year, meaning you can't even capture 100% of what you sold last year. You don't get a one-to-one. If you sold 300,000 gallons last year, you don't get budgeted 300,000 gallons. You get 85% of that. So someone is being kicked off the chopping block. And I don't know what it is right now. That was back earlier in spring. So February, March timeframe, I was hearing that. But now with the force majeures in place, it may be even worse where they were expected to have delivery of 85%. But in reality, delivery may look like 70% or 65%. So if you don't have it right now, you are foobard. No, no other rhyme or reason about it. If you're in lawn care right now, the nice thing about this is that a lot of times these guys are buying the, the previous year for what's going to be going out this year. So in lawn care, what you you may you may notice glyphosate is actually a little bit difficult to get in some regions right now. However, some of the other things we use, like 2,4-D and stuff, if it came from New Farm, chances are it's probably difficult to secure right now. If it's coming from one of the other uh, uh, cooperative groups like Qualipro or you know one of the other other generics, Primera Turf, uh, chances are you can still get it right now. However, as this inventory is exhausted, and they do typically plan to exhaust it by the end of the season, right? And we start moving into next year. Good luck, gentlemen. Start making plans now. Start making plans now on how you're going to deal with this. You have to look at alternative active ingredients. You have to look at alternative uh, 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 means and methods to be able to control these types of things. And you have to be on your A game. And if you're going to apply an herbicide, you have to make that fucking application count. Do not mess around. Do not bullshit around. Do not bullshit around with your rates thinking that ah, I can just do this. And then all of a sudden you have to make a second application because there is a very good probability that product may not be there for you to make a second application. So kind of hammered through that. Boys, talk to me. What are you are you seeing anything of the sort of herbicide shortages right now? Or are you hearing it from your distributors yet? Oh yeah. I mean it's a it's a in terms of shortages i think it's more of allocations right right now where 
I need 20 gallons and hey, well, guess what? I'm going to ship you the seven and a half I can give you, right? I can't let you buy me out of what I have, which is very limited. So a lot of that kind of stuff right now. But yeah, there are things, right? That I'm, I'm not going to say which because I don't want to create a panic or any BS like that. But there are things that are are being told to us right now that you will not be able to get by the end of the year. Uh, and it is in that in the pesticide space. And it's like you were saying, you know, this is a, a trickle down effect, right? Like where ag is going to get theirs first and foremost, and we are going to get what's left. So just like you were saying about mesotrione, right? What's that? The active ingredient, Callisto and ag, right, Ray? And then tenacity yes, and turf. So mm-hmm. who, who wins there? Ag or the people that want a four ounce bottle to spray on crabgrass and just piss it off in the middle of summer. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and by the way, I'm actually seeing the same thing happening in my world where I go to guys like Simplot and ask for something and they say, oops, we're out. And likewise, when I go to a out-of-state vendor, out of stock. So. I see it I see it coming and for me there are certain core products where I always keep a full jug of that uh on hand that's just how how I live right <laughs> I just Got don't to. put myself in a no I just don't put myself in the position because by the way uh like yesterday I was treating a lawn that I wasn't ex- expecting to have to treat because three months ago, that grass was growing, that grass was green. In fact, I was thinking, oh, Lord, am I going to have to put this grass on SDFU? And now it's wilting, patching, dying. And. <laughs> I look and I see, okay, I have enough material to to deal with this. It's it, it, again, we're in unprecedented times. We don't have anything in history we can look at and have some sort of educated guess on on how this plays out. We are literally forging history as we're living it right now, and I mean that from the absolute depth of my heart that this is. Enough unprecedented. I'm not saying that to to scare people, but the point is, is that n- there there are no right or wrong answers right now. Right? This, this is this is all uncharted territory. Nobody knows what to do. So, you know, for those of you that are thinking, "Oh shit, what do I do?" Nobody really knows what to do. So, I recommend my recommendation would be to sit down, chart it out on paper, and make the best decision you can. Some people are going to make good decisions. Some people are going to make bad decisions, but we're not going to know if it's a good or bad decision until five or 10 years later, right? And that's just the reality of rewriting, well, not rewriting, but writing history as you live it, right? So it is what it is. Be prepared for it. Make the best absolute educated guesses that you that you that you can and uh whatever your decision is you know be be pliable flexible able to pivot when you need to and uh chances are chances are everything's going to be okay but have a no shit contingency plan if you know you 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 just should in general 
Uh, this next one here, a lawnmower catches fire in front of Cromwell Cottage. Uh, on March 15th, a riding lawnmower on the lawn in front of Cromwell Cottage caught fire, alarming bystanders. A maintenance worker had been using a lawnmower in the area around 3.30 when the fire began. Uh, Gambier Mayor Lehman Kessler, oh, what, what is that, 04? He's a, he's, a, he's a graduate of the university. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, I see, I see it right here, right here. Um, uh, had been seated on a bench near Middle Path waiting to pick up his daughter from Wigan Street Elementary School when he noticed smoke coming from the direction of a lawnmower, which he m- uh, initially mistook for the, for the dust the lawnmower kicked up. When I saw the maintenance worker running from the vehicle, that clued me that it was uh, c- clued me in that it was serious. Kessler found a fire extinguisher in the Church of the Holy Spirit and gave it to a staff member before running to Gun Gallery to find another one. By the time he returned, the fire had grown beyond the capabilities of a fire extinguisher and the Mount Vernon Fire <laughs> Department was on the way. Uh, although onlookers oh, were man. worried that it would spread, the MVF D was able to put out the fire quickly. It left a large patch of burnt ground where the lawnmower had caught fire and blackened the stretch of a tree trunk where a tree had briefly caught fire. The fire was completely extinguished within 20 minutes at 3.50. Um, this is actually more common than you know I care to admit because you got to remember debris, leaf debris, especially if you're doing spring cleanups and stuff, are going to capture in uh, uh, air intakes and all that fun stuff and uh, in front of radiators and, and shit gets hot. Uh, and heaven forbid you have a little bit of a hydraulic leak and all of a sudden you've got fire potential raining on you. Uh, for anybody that's ever operated like a straw blower before, how many times have you set a hundred bales of straw on fire running a, a, a straw blower? Maybe that's only me that's done that, but uh, it's happened. And uh, it's actually happened more than once, but uh, it is what it is now. And I, I also want to say here too, um, is this going to become more commonplace or less commonplace with electric mowers? I don't know, but you have to remember that when uh, a, a battery fails due to an impact or whatever the case may be, lithium fires are uh, pretty in freaking tense too. So um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that the potential for more of this to take place, but uh, it would definitely uh, set off a set of alarm bells to watch a lithium fire take place uh, on, a, on a lawnmower out in the front yard. Yeah, so, I mean, lithium. Lithium is a little different to put out versus gasoline or diesel. Just uh, everybody know that and understand that. And that's when, you know, I look at the battery pack uh, that I keep for my cordless drill, for example, and I'm thinking this can be more dangerous than my five gallons of gasoline. Because the difference between lithium and gasoline is that you can extinguish a gasoline fire, a lithium fire, not so. <laughs> yep. My only question uh, is, do they store do they store this mower in a shed? <laughs> <laughs> We're in Tennessee, actually. Uh, yeah, yep. where the best of fires take place. Um, Demay, I, I'm. I, this is an Ohio article. I'm sure this is up near you. Uh, was this yeah. was this front page news where where you were? <laughs> I'm sure it was front page news <laughs> in Mount Vernon or near Mount. It, it's a small town, very small town. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure this was probably the talk of the town. The next door app probably lit up. Facebook page, you know, they calmed down from uh, all the political talk and, and rallied around the community and that poor hustler that died in that fire. Poor one out. Rest in know. peace. 
Uh, gentlemen, let's check out this week's returns. It had been Masters Week, and so let's bring up a good one for Masters. I saw this too, and I thought this was fantastic. In recognition, 50 years for Ike Strokes. Ike Strokes has always held a special place. As Ike Stokes. Why did I? Freudian slip there. Uh, held a special place in his heart for the Greens at Augusta National Golf Club, particularly the famous Par 312. On Sunday evening, the longtime club maintenance employee will walk on a new favorite green. Stokes will carry the winner's green jacket from Butler Cablin to the Terrace Putting Green and hand it to Augusta National Masters Tournament Chairman Fred Ridley during the outdoor green jacket presentation ceremony. Uh, Augusta National established the tradition, the green jacket to the chairman, in 2021 to recognize an employee who embodies the club mission and core values. Krista Crawford was the first recipient last year, honoring her dedication in leading the club's testing and tracing response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Nominated by her peers and selected by a panel of leaders, Crawford and Stokes represent all Augusta National employees at the Masters concluding ceremony. Ike has faithfully worked on Augusta National's golf course for more than 50 years. The longest service record of any employee in our organization's history, Ridley said. His incredible tenure is, uh, is matched only by his passion for Augusta National's core values. Ike's advancement of our irrigation systems and pristine care for the golf course has helped maintain our standard of excellent, excellence year after year. He's also known as an invaluable mentor to his fellow employees. Along with sharing his professional knowledge, he helps pass on our respect for tradition by sharing our history and experience he has gained over five decades. Uh, Ike said, I figure if I smile, 20 other people might smile. The Stokes family heritage date backs to when he started working part-time at Augusta National in 1967 and full-time in 1970. His father worked on the maintenance crew specializing in bunker work and his uncle on greens mowing since when the club was founded in the 1930s. There's a photo inside Eisenhower cabin of U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower with a group of course maintenance workers, including Stokes' father and uncle. Stokes also assists the Rules Committee and Masters course setup daily, a position he's held since the 1980s. He worked with two-time Masters champion Byron Nelson when the eighth green was restored to his original design in the late 70s. Stokes also said he was one of the first employees to greet five-time Masters champion Tiger Woods when then-amateur came for a practice round in 95 and saw the course for the first time from the number 10 tee. But aside from his knowledge of the course and preparing it for regular member play in the Masters, Stokes is known for his smile and engaging personality. Kudos to this guy. What a fucking badass he is. And uh, 50 years of service in the most grueling industry, arguably, in America. That is the golf industry, especially an elite club like that. A friend of mine was the par three course manager, a graduate of uh, University of Georgia, probably the only uh, good graduate of the University of Georgia in America. I'm just kidding. I love, I love, I love all my brothers that graduated from University of Georgia. I'm, I'm just being an asshole. Uh, go Vols. Um, uh, but it was a... a, a the part three course manager there and, uh, and just absolutely grueling work. And for this guy to be able to do that for 50 years shows the kind of dedication and ultimately beyond dedication, the passion he has, uh, not just for the sport of golf, not just for Augusta national, uh, but for, uh, uh, turf grass and, uh, the, the preservation of the green industry as a whole. So hell yeah. Hell yeah is right, and uh, listen, uh, for a guy like this to be like what you said at a club like this for that long is a story of perseverance, a story of uh, somebody who is definitely dedicated to get 
better every single day because you don't survive at a place like that if you're not willing to do that and make a lot of sacrifices. So, you know, we all have our, you know, whatever we do for a living and everything like that. I lived in this industry for 16 years and, and got out when it was right for me. I can't imagine doing it for 50. So I give this guy all the credit in the world. And I'll just go ahead and say, you know, the, uh, the blasphemy that takes place that, uh, people saying that they, you know, they, uh, they have golf course lawns and all that other kind of bullshit. Just stop, just stop, go, go, go spend a day with Ike and see what he thinks of your lawn. How about that? Ray, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known a lot of longtime, uh, golf people as well. And, uh, I have nothing but admiration for them. I do, because I could not do their job. Hell no. I know that. No, I know that about myself. I know that. Because you see, a golf person has the tolerance and patience of a saint. Not one of my primary qualities. So... (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you right now, uh, Ike Stokes here, as tough as I talk online in real life of, you know, uh, uh, loin swinging and uh, tough guy attitude that, that I, I put on from time to time. I don't have uh, a, a, the, the toughness this guy has in his fingernails far exceeds what I have because I sure as shit do not have what it takes to do what that guy has done. Um. The next one here, TPC Deer Run losing Studeman after the season. Uh, Alex Studeman has poured blood and sweat into making TPC Deer Run Golf Course one of the top condition courses in the Quad Cities area as well as on the PGA Tour. This includes overseeing the facility's $1.8 million facelift that began last fall and is getting the finishing touches putting on this spring. After 14 years over two stints in his adopted home, the Minnesota native will soon turn his attention to an opportunity to have an even bigger impact on professional golf across the continent. The 44-year-old is spending his last summer at Deer Run this year before moving on to what he hopes are greener pastures as he becomes the director of the TPC Agronomy for the PGA Tour. Badass. My wife jokes that I'm married to two people for nine months out of the year, Studeman, uh, says Studeman, noting all the support he receives from Aaron during a demanding schedule. She's a school teacher and gets her downtime in the summer months when I'm wrapping up. I'm going to be traveling quite a bit, but it might give me some more predictability in my schedule, and that can go a long way on the personal front. A student will be getting his hands dirty and involved in turf grass and golf courses, including his beloved deer run. Now, though, he will be spreading his expertise through the TPC network and other courses that host PGA Tour events. Basically, what I'll be doing is supporting PGA Tour venues, primarily TPCs, not only in operation to support their tournaments, but also in operational excellence. I'll be able to offer advice from my years of experience in business while upholding the standards of the PGA Tour and working with our board and talented network of rules officials and construction architecture experts and membership directors. Students said this opportunity was created through his 22 years networking within the PGA Tour and TPC network, of course, is here in San Antonio and Minneapolis. And his body of work speaks for itself. Um, Congratulations to this guy getting out of the grind, being able to go and uh, take on a job like the director of agronomy for uh, for uh, the TPC and, and the the PGA is <laughs> man. Uh, I would call that uh, success on success, uh, and not not only spearheading Deer Run, but then uh, to to make that kind of uh, that is not a lateral move. That is a step up. Even and I'll say this right now: even if you took less pay to take that job, that is without a doubt a step up. And the benefits that is going to provide this guy to his personal life is 
<laughs> man, he literally gets to have a brand new life that has started over and one that hopefully he gets to enjoy on a whole new level. He did not know he, he gets to enjoy. So congratulations. Absolutely. Uh, this guy, Alex feature of, uh, our good friend Ryan Norris documentary film that he put out. Jay Pink, I threw the link up, but uh, definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, where they talked to Alex and his assistants there at Deer Run during last year's tournament, Ryan was there for. Um, first of all, a great dude. I've never met the guy, but I've I've heard people speak about him and his leadership qualities, and then seeing this video and just watching the way that he goes about his business, like you can tell this guy has a shit together. I was talking on um our podcast on the podcast with uh Ryan Noor and about how the last day of the tournament, if you go to the end of the film, last day of the tournament Sunday morning, they've got a bu- they've had a bunch of rain, had a bunch of uh, you know, inclement weather that's kind of delayed play off and on. And that morning, this guy chose to take Ryan Noor out on the cart with him first thing when they were out doing course prep. So literally, like they have to. It's like the most important day of this guy's fucking year, and he was like, "Yeah, just come on with me. Like, let's go." Like most people would be a neurotic fucking mess at that point. And this, <laughs> did you imagine me? First, I, oh I my could never, I could never have what it takes to do what this guy does to be able to get in that position. But could you imagine me in that scenario on the on the day de- on that day? You want to talk about a neurotic mess? Ryan, hey, listen. You probably have to stop at the gas Actually, station or a couple of them, buy them out of Delta Eights, and just go to work. Actually, maybe a chicken me, biscuit Matt, too. Maybe a chicken biscuit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be neurotic. Okay, I wouldn't be neurotic because you you know I I have like uh, this mode where hey, it happened and you know everything's kind of falling into place. So therefore, I have zero Fs to give. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. where you you know everything's like in place. Like for example, I deal with people where they literally rent their grounds out for events, and I have to be the person to tell them, you know what, calm down. The grass is fine. You're just being crazy. You worry if I'm worried. Otherwise, calm down. Have another martini. <laughs> it was only that easy. But seriously, yeah. <laughs> though, that, 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 that act alone right there. And he was engaging the whole time. He wasn't nervous. He was just he was trying to mm-hmm. educate Ryan. He was trying to talk about what they were doing. I mean, he, he took him along like, it was Ryan's first day working at the course, and it just so happened that, oh, by the way, you know, it's our biggest fucking day of the year, times 10, and, you know, there's going to be TV cameras everywhere for the next 12 hours. Surprise! Like, that, that to me, says everything you need to know about this guy. So, uh, lots of respect to him, well wishes, all that kind of stuff. But, Matt, I don't know if I agree with you, because now he's got to worry about, like, 24 properties now instead of just one. So, his life might not be <laughs> as easy as... <laughs> as it uh, might seem, but he, he'll be good. He's in a good spot. And again, congratulations to him. Let me, let me pretend. Um, that was our returns. Gentlemen, let's check out this week's mailbag. You've got mail. Oh. 
Uh, we have a mailbag from our great friend here, uh, Mano Matrix. And JP, if you don't mind anything I need to bring up here, if, if you don't mind consolidating it, but I, I think this is the one. Um, and he showed a series of pictures and said, I need to fill these dog ruts with sand before they come, uh, before uh, my Kentucky bluegrass uh, will fill them in the spring. Would adding a tachifier be beneficial or detrimental to the rhizomatic spread? I hope to minimize further movement and damage in the areas the dog runs and uh here are pictures here and to be honest i do not know if a tachifier would aid or inhibit or have no effect whatsoever on kentucky bluegrass not a clue uh not that i know I've, the back story to this seen. i know that i know the back story to this uh nanomatrix has a very big but adorable dog and that is just is it a cane weird. Corso? No, no, it's. Uh, I believe it's Thank a. Ger- I believe it's a German Shepherd. Mm. I believe it's a German Shepherd. Uh but what I know about German Shepherds is, if they are in the mode to run to the gate to bark at everything that passes by, uh things like that will happen. Okay, things like that weird track going from what i presume is the house to the gate that'll happen and i don't think we need a tachifier i would put up temporary fencing agreed or i or i would put up a means to keep doggo off of that area that he's running back and forth on to let the grass grow in I don't think a tachifier is going to quite do the job because I don't think a tachifier will resist an 80-something-something-pound dog running over it several times a day. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you got to fence this off. There's no other way. Mm -hmm. I don't. To answer the original question, though, I've never seen tachifier interfere with any type of seating or anything like that. Now, I don't think I've ever sprayed it by itself without uh some type of hydro mulch but uh that's just my anecdotal experience yeah i i just i i can't i'm really racking my brain over here to think of why i would cause any kind of negative and i just i don't see it um we are going to wrap this up a couple things i want to make note up here uh note of here first is that for our patrons we hit 69 nice and so we are going to start uh, the, 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 the movie thing, I'm going to be reintegrated back into society one movie at a time. And we're actually going to start that this Friday. Uh, so we don't necessarily have an exact time pinned down. I want to say we're thinking like 9 PM, something of the sort. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to watch a movie. I do not know what it is. I do not know what potential movies there are. I do know, uh, uh Jay Pink and DeMay and others have been working on, uh, some sort of, uh, uh, democratic method of of uh, deciding what this is going to look like and what potential movies could be again all this will be a complete and total surprise to me uh, i did have a conversation with jay pink this weekend about the types of movies i have seen typically they fall into the realm of psychological thrillers i haven't seen all, all of them but i have seen a few so uh, of the the short list of movies i have seen it come fall into the effect of like donnie darko mulholland drive the human centipede uh most of saw one um uh what were the the it was it yanishevsky who did like pie and requiem for a dream so 
Uh, and of course, the, I, I have seen The Big Lebowski too, and I wouldn't necessarily consider that a psychological thriller, but uh, it, it was thrilling <laughs> psychologically to me. Uh, because we were going to have to have a talk at, right there I, about your genre I, placement, but go on. Well, I think that if if I am most like anyone in the real world, I'm probably closest to Walter than anybody else in any other movie I've ever oh. seen. So, you know, I just I felt a very deep connection to him. And uh, what's interesting is that John Borden is actually more like the dude uh, than anybody else in my life. So maybe that's why he and I work so well together. I don't know. Interesting, interesting thought there. But Anyway, that is coming up, so patrons, be on the lookout for that. Uh, JP is going to be sending out an email uh, to bring everybody up to speed and up to snuff on that. This Thursday on Thirsty Thursday, we have awesome Bermuda grass renovation taking place with our dearly beloved uh, number one fan, well, I'll say co-number one fan of Big Booty Latinas, and that is Mr. Jay Laveau, Aldo Beltran himself. And, uh, and so I really look forward to that. And guess what, Aldo? I'm going to be here for it. So um i'm i'm super stoked and i look forward to that as well so on thursday we've got an incredible thirsty thursday scheduled and then on friday we have an incredible movie night with our patrons scheduled as well so gentlemen that is going to wrap up our show for today we are going to head over to the after show to uh hang out with the patrons and let them choose the title of this week's episode we'll catch y'all on the flip side <laughs>